Hello, everybody. My name is John McDonough. I'm with the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Paul Haddis from the Tufts University School of Medicine, and this is Health or Consequences, the regular podcast on health policy in Massachusetts, sponsored by Commonwealth Magazine and Mass Inc. Today, we are delighted to welcome back for a return performance, I think this may be our first repeat, Senator Cindy Friedman, a state senator from the Arlington Lexington State Senate District. And she is in her first term and is a candidate for reelection, most important in her second term, forgive me, um, and is um, currently the Senate co-chair of the Joint Committee on Healthcare Financing. And she is deeply in the middle of all of the health policy issues going on in the state. And we thought it would be a great opportunity to check in with Senator Friedman in terms of how she's doing, how she perceives the state is doing, how the Senate is doing in the midst of this incredible pandemic we're living through right now. So welcome, Senator Friedman. Thanks for coming back to us. Hi, John. Hi, Paul. It's um, great to hear you guys. Um, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And so let's just start with what's it like being a state senator in the midst of this historically unprecedented pandemic? How are you and your colleagues holding up? Uh, what's it like? Can you run a reelection campaign? What's just, what's it all like? What's happening now as far as you can see day to day? Well, I would think it's similar to what is uh, what a lot of people are feeling, and that is this incredible sense of of unreality of something that just never experienced before. Um, I've learned a whole lot about working at home. Um, I've uh, learned a whole lot about communication and and what works and what doesn't. Um, I've certainly learned a whole lot about how interconnected every single thing is in our lives. I mean, we forget, we just take so much for granted. And then when that, when reality changes, you just realize how, how dependent we are on so many things and so many people. And, um, you know, being a state senator, um, I really, I really see all of that. And I see how important it is that we all work together and we all um, come to the table at least with the same uh, set of um, the same willingness to try and and solve problems that we've just never had to deal with before. Um, I think we're all holding up okay. I get up every morning and just thank whoever for the life I have and the um, privileges that I have and my ability to social distance and keep my job and realize how many people, that's just not an option for. Um, so am I holding up? When I think about other people in the Commonwealth and the country, I am just fine. And are you um, running a actual reelection campaign now or is that all off to the side while we're in the midst of this? I have not thought of re-election for since March 1st and not because I don't take it seriously, but because we're just so focused on getting through uh, the pandemic. 
and it's just really hard to to think about running a campaign. Okay, it let me turn so, it. It's important, but it seems so unimportant when so much real stuff is going on. Let me turn Senator, it over to my colleague, Paul. Senator, let me add my words of welcome and certainly appreciate you and your colleagues' efforts to try to do your job on behalf of all of us during the pandemic. And it actually, the legislature has been active in relationship even to COVID-19 over these past few months. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that the legislature has done and, and you know, you and your joint healthcare financing committee in particular, and I know you're operating now without a permanent house co-chair. So what has been before you in the last um, couple of months? Well, actually, you know, I was looking over um, what we've been doing as part of this um, pandemic in the legislature, and we've actually done quite a bit. Um, just the, so we did a notarization bill that allowed people to do uh, re remote notarizing, which is incredibly important for people to get, you know, real estate transactions and wills and, um, and, and things like that, affidavits, trusts, that kind of thing. So we passed that, um, the remote notarization bill. We passed a um, moratorium on non-essential evictions and foreclosures to protect people. Um, during this time from being evicted um, or having their houses foreclosed on them. We um, did a, a liability protection um, bill so that healthcare workers and doctors who were not currently in practice could come back and help out with the pandemic. We've done a couple of municipal bills, you know, things that allowed cities and towns to do partial budgets, to deal with town meeting, to um, go remote when they needed to. Uh, we waived the, the MCAS requirements. Um, so what we did a small recovery business loan for $10 million. We also gave a 15, did a $15 million SUP that allowed, um, that gave money to local boards of health. Um, I know the Senate is also was working on a, um, passed a bill that protected people's SNAP benefits so that you could um, apply for SNAP even though your assets may have been may be more than currently is allowed. Um, so people who lost their jobs but need help with um, with food would get it. Um, those are some of the things we've done. We did a scope of practice bill in the Senate. Uh, we did a telehealth bill, um, which both of those turned out that the governor did through executive um, order, but we did them in the Senate, so they were ready to go. Um, so those are some of the things. So we've been really busy. Um, you know, uh, I miss my co-chair. It was good. We had a great relationship. Um, uh, the vice chair is now, you know, we've been working to get our bills out. We have a number of bills that we have to get out that have been an extension. So we'll be doing that. Um, but I guess I've been more focused on uh, working with the administration right now um, over the past couple of months around hospitals, access to care, PPE, um, those kinds of things and, and, and budget. So before, Senator, before the pandemic emerged and took over everything on the policy agenda, Governor Baker had introduced last year an ambitious health reform bill on behavioral health and primary care. Uh, the state Senate has passed some ambitious bills on 
uh, rising prescription drug costs and on behavioral health. Uh, the House hasn't acted on either of them. In light of the situation in terms of where we are right now and with only a few months left until the end of July recess, with the budget still yet to be done, is there any possibility that we might see action on any of those initiatives that people were so focused on pre-pandemic? I think the, the honest um, answer to that is, I don't know. Um, you know, are we gonna go longer because we've, we feel like we've lost a lot of time because we've, all, we've been completely sidetracked by this? You know, can we go longer as a legislature and, and do more, you know, do more things? Um, you know, I think we're going to have some some uh, issues before before us, not the least of the budget, that may have us going longer than July. And if that's the case, then I certainly will push to get um, you know the mental health bill and the prescription drug bill um, out because those those become more important every day, right? I mean, mental health is going to be more of an issue than it was before the pandemic. It's not gonna be less. Um, I think we are all waiting for a mental health surge because lots of people have not gotten the care that they need. And, um, and this has put an enormous amount of stress on families and children in a way that um, is really gonna have an effect on people and their ability to recover. So we're gonna need all of that um, we need it desperately. We needed it before we started and we're going to need it even more. So, and the prescription drug issue is still the prescription drug issue. And maybe even that's uh, more of an issue because there are a lot of people now that are going to, um, that are in really reduced financial circumstances and they're going to need relief from their uh, medications, relief from the cost of those. We know they were rising exponentially and, we got to make sure that they have access. And um, so to me, those become every bit as important, maybe more than they were before we started. Have you, have you been given, Senator, any indication of how the budget is going to get done and a timetable or anything like that? Or is it a mystery, as they say? I would call it a, a ongoing discussion. Um, it's clear that we can't do the budget the way we normally do the budget. The, the House can't do it for a month and then the Senate do it for a month and then we get together and reconcile our differences. So I know there's conversations going on um, and I know that there's discussion about do we do a partial budget um, and then go forward. And part of I think the issue in defense of the legislature is we don't know what's coming in terms of federal aid and that is going to be absolutely crucial to us. If we don't get federal aid, um, we will see uh, cuts that we've just never seen before um, that will affect every single part of our commonwealth. Um, if we do get federal aid, what is that federal aid and how is it applied? We don't know that yet. So doing a budget right now is really challenging, um, especially when we're being told something's coming. Um, so I think it is a mystery because um, there's so much unknown. I don't think people are keeping something from us. I just think we just don't know yet. Paul? Senator, turning to the P 
pandemic, sadly, we're part of a subset of states where over half the deaths have occurred in nursing home patients in the Commonwealth. And uh, a lot of folks are worried about that. The governor, with his worry, and, and, and of Secretary Sutter's, have offered up $130 million of, of Medicaid dollars to help support those nursing homes. What's your thought about the problem and, and the response? I think what we, have, uh, what we are seeing is an industry that was on or near the verge of collapse, and it is collapsing. And um, I think what the administration has done, you know, what the command center has done is all of the right things to do. Um, you can argue whether it was, you know, didn't happen fast enough or it isn't enough, but what they're doing right now is what needs to happen. It is a huge issue um, and it is extremely complicated. And what we're seeing is years of, you know, big companies coming in and buying nursing homes that have no connection to the community that they're, that that nursing home is in. Nursing homes used to be all, you know, mom and pop local. Now they're run by places, people in New Jersey and Texas. They don't know from Massachusetts. Um, it's a, it's a, a workforce that has been drastically underpaid for the work that they do. These people have two jobs, three jobs. They go from one nursing home to another. What did we expect? The nursing homes have never been in the business of intense infection control, right? It's just not in their bailiwick. Um, and these, remember, are the most vulnerable people. Many people in nursing homes go there for their end of life care. So all of this coming together has just, it's just created this, I'm trying not to use that word, the storm um, that we're, we're seeing the results of. Um, and the worrying course is that the system and housing are just behind them potentially and already infection. So it's really seniors as, as, as one of the vulnerable groups that are really on the line here. Right. And people that go to long, you know, there's also, there's a long, there's the part of long-term care that is people that, you know, that's where they live. And then there are people coming in for rehab and skilled nursing, you know, and they're coming from hospitals and those hospitals may have had infections. So it's just, um, it's not sustainable. And I think that what we really need to look at is how do we provide care where we need it um, and make sure that the right procedures in, are in place, that we have serious requirements for taking care of people and that we increase the pay of our workforce because people need to be able to come and work there and have one job and be able to earn a living wage. Well, let me let me move from the nursing homes to the broader array of providers where a, a lot of the frontline folks are, 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 are seeing patients who are sick, including with, with COVID-19. But there, I want to ask you more of a financial stability question. Uh, some of our community hospitals, some of our neighborhood health centers, especially those that are independent, a lot of physician practices, especially when you get to the smaller ones uh, outside of the Boston area, uh, they're all having financial stability concerns because of the drop in, in, in volume. Uh, there's been federal and state monies have, have come forward to try to help those providers, but what worries you the most right now about the financial issues confronting those groups? What worries me the most is that the, 
the institutions that have been, uh, you know, stable and solid and far reaching are going to be okay. And the institutions that serve the most vulnerable, the poor minorities who have been struggling are going to either continue to struggle or they're going to get, they're going to get wiped out. I mean, I think that's what it, you know, comes down to. And you know, we, we have to, we have to really, um, we, we have to put our money where our mouth is. If we really believe in taking care of the most vulnerable in our society, if we want to make sure that access is equal, um, we have to make some very hard choices and we have to make sure that we're putting the resources where we, um, you know, where they're most needed. Does Lawrence that serves a huge population of um, people in, in, a, in, a, in an area, do we need to shore them up? Absolutely. Do we have to make sure that they can do the job they're there to do? Absolutely. Is there another hospital in another part of the state that's two minutes away from another hospital and they're, and they're doing the same kinds of things um, and they have the same services? And are we putting money in both of those? Does that make sense? I don't know. We got to figure that out um, because there are limited resources and we want everybody to pay their share, but we really have to make sure that the way we're delivering care is is efficient and is working for the people that we're delivering care to and not to, you know, institutions and keeping things running for the sake of keeping them running and, you know, um, and trying to do more than we can do. And, you know, I don't, I hope that makes sense, but it's like, what do we need and where do we need it? And we have to make those decisions. And if nothing has shown us, you know, if we have learned nothing from this, we have to we have to learn how fragile that healthcare system is, and how difficult it is to deliver care where it's needed. I wonder if I could dig into one of the groups for a moment: um, primary care doctors, who many of whom saying, you know, they're even with telehealth, their revenues are down substantially, and some of them are coming up with the concept of saying, "Gee, isn't this the time maybe?" to push the insurers, maybe Medicaid too, into more of a capitated payment for them rather than basing it on just fee-for-service volume as a way of, of having them having regular flow. Any, any thought about that particular issue? I think it absolutely makes sense. Um, I think the devil's in the detail, right? I mean, we ha we've set up these ACOs in, Medi in Medicaid, but in fact, they're sort of based on a fee-for-service model, right? And that's right. how we, that's how we measure whether you, you know, you're, you're keeping within your capitation or your capitation is, I mean, that's, that, those are the measurements that we use and that's, that's not going to work. Um, I absolutely support a capitated model, um, especially in primary care. We have to make sure that we set that capitation right, that it does reflect what it costs to take care of a whole person um, and not, so, so the quality of the care has to come first and then how much it costs has to come next as opposed to how much can we pay for this? So this is what you get to do. 
um, which we often do in healthcare and a lot of other things. So, but I think it's absolutely the right way to go. I think in a perfect world, we would have incredibly strong primary care and behavioral health integrated. We have, we should, we would have really um, robust community health centers. And then we would have hospitals that do what hospitals ought to do. And that's take care of the really, you know, the, the sickest and the sort of most specialized needs. Um, that's the picture of the world that I think we should be building. One um, only okay. hope. Thank you. Thank um, you. Senator, are you satisfied with the extent to which we, the state has adequate supplies for personal protective equipment and testing and those other essentials for healthcare workers and first responders in the state right now? Or do you have concerns about that? How? big a problem is that or is that not a problem from what you're able to uh, understand and see? So this is kind of what I was talking a little bit about when you look at the interconnectedness. And I think this is what we've seen here is a perfect example of the downside of a global economy, right? Um, I am really worried about PPE and testing supplies. And I think we all should be, especially as we open up the, um, the Commonwealth to business. Uh, we don't make anything anymore. Um, in these areas. We get none of these supplies or PPEs come from the United States. And when the countries that uh, you depend on get hit by a pandemic, you learn that uh, you can no longer get those things. And that's what we're seeing. And I think we, the, the Commonwealth has done a good job in, in doing its heart, doing the hard, hard work of finding these things and getting people to to supply them, but we have a long way to go. And if we're gonna open up our, um, our system, we have to be sure that, these, that the PPE is in place. And I'm really concerned that, you know, I'm not worried about the big institutions and the big companies. They have a lot of buying power. They'll figure out a way to get PPE. I'm really worried about the smaller businesses and, um, you know, Bob's Auto Body or, um, you know, or, Deborah's diner, who you know, who needs to be in business but doesn't have the buying power that a Fidelity or a Raytheon or whoever has. So I am really worried about it. And in terms of the testing, I think from everything I've read and what um, people are saying, I think we are really need to advance our um, ability to test not only by getting the supplies for the tests that we have now but for actually developing tests that people can do themselves or that are much easier to administer. Um, I think this is gonna be a real um, barrier to people getting tests. You know, right now we have a test that has to be administered by somebody who really knows what they're doing. It's a very long 12 inch swab that goes up your nose and is extremely uncomfortable. Um, requires that all of that it be put in the right place, that it be packaged correctly. There's so many um, challenges to be to giving that test. We really need better tests and more of them. So I I I applaud and I support all of the work that different institutions are doing to come up with a better test. Because when we do that, then I think we're gonna um, we're we're going to um, reduce a barrier that's really important to us getting back on track. Thank you, Paul. Uh, across the country, disproportionate impacts of COVID-19 uh, on various populations. We've talked about the nursing home population, 
but people who are incarcerated, those who live in dense urban areas, often that includes uh, high infection rates and sadly death rates in, in racial and ethnic minorities and other disadvantaged populations. What are the impacts that's happening to these groups that you're seeing right now? And um, what do you think we ought to be doing about, about addressing those issues? Well, um, I think that we have, uh, what we're seeing again is um, years and years and years of um, social inequities. And, uh, and we are seeing the results of the social determinants of health. Um, they're coming out starkly, and and um, if we weren't clear about uh, what it means to be poor and sick in the United States, we sure have learned it now. Um, I, what I am looking for, because we can't solve those problems in this in this moment, there are many many years and decades in the making. What I want to, what I really want us all to focus on is as we get back to work. And as we come up with a plan, that the, there is laser focused on how we support those communities, how we support urban communities, how we support people um, in communities who don't have the luxury of working at home and social distancing and need to get back to work. And we need them desperately to get back to work. So our focus should be how do you protect those people? How do you protect um, them in the businesses that they go back to? And we better be putting our resources in those areas, you know, into the Chelsea's and the Everett's and the Brockton's and the Holyoke's and places where people live, where it's dense, where it's lower income and where they do work that we are absolutely 100% dependent on them getting to those jobs. So that's what I'll be looking for. Thank you. So, Senator, um, everybody seems to have an opinion about the job performance of President Trump in this crisis, either for or against. Um, how would you assess the performance of Governor Charlie Baker and his administration in their role in taking the state through this unprecedented crisis? Um, well, l let me put it this way. Raise your hand if you want to be the governor right now. Um, you know, I've worked a lot with the command center over the past two months, uh, uh, quite a bit with the command center. And um, I have to say that um, what I have experienced are a group of people who care very, very deeply, who have been put into incredible situations having to make very difficult choices um, for systems that have long been uh, neglected, where there is not a lot of infrastructure, and they've had to put it all together really fast. And I think given what their challenges have been, they have done an amazing job. And I think what I find most, um, uh, not rewarding, but, but I find most comforting is that I have met very, very little ego, hubris. Um, it's just people who are working. I don't know how, how they can work that hard. They're working hard. They care very, very much. And they're trying to do the right thing. And they're always willing to listen. And I think that is, you know, if I could ask for anything, I think that's what I would ask for. And they're smart. And they're smart. So 
I think overall, while there are things I don't agree with, and while um, I might have done some things, I might do some things differently, I, I don't think it's out of any uh, malice or, you know, not caring or anything like that. So I think we're very, very lucky. Um, and I'm really, really, um, really grateful for the bipartisan effort that has all gone into this, that, um, you know, the politicians can all get together and say, no, me, me, no, me, no, I need to do it. There's been very little of that, um, especially in my dealings. It's like, who's going to do this? You do it, go do it. And um, I'm really, really grateful um, for living in the state. So, Senator, final question. As, as one of the state's key policy leaders, particularly on health policy, do you have a message for your own constituents and for the citizens of the state about this current crisis that would be really important for them to keep in mind for however long it's going to take us to get to the other side of this? I don't know how important it is. John and Paul, my particular take on this, but here's how I think about it. Um, first of all, leadership really matters. And having leaders from the very top to our state, to our communities, to our localities, having leaders really who care about this and who are willing to do the work, and who are thoughtful, really matters. And if, and, and this should be a lesson to all of us that we need to vote and that um, we need to make sure that there are people in positions who can help, help us through this. These kinds of situations, I fear there's going to be more like this. Um, but the second thing is um, the health leaders are coming together and we're going to work really hard to make a smooth transition from where we are to where we need to be but we need everybody's help. We need to find a way for us to be patient and we need to make sure that we can stick together and that we work together um, because if we do that, we will get through it. If we start to, um, uh, if we start from a position of opposition, of uh, not trusting, of thinking only of ourselves, uh, we won't get through it. But if we can keep this patience that people have had, this incredible understanding that I've seen from so many people, you know, people in my district calling me up and saying, I need to work. But I understand that this is a really hard thing for the state to do. How can we do this? As long as that's our attitude, um, I know it may sound silly or corny, but we will get through it together if we work together. If we start going at each other, we, we can't get through this. So be patient, stick together, help each other, and we will get through this. Senator Friedman, that's a, a touching uh, philosophical note to end this conversation with you. We so, we so appreciate you joining us at this time, and we really look forward to our next conversation. Hopefully, we could all be safely together and uh, society can, can uh, you know, be able to uh, be closer back to its normal function as well. So thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you both. Um, you know, I think about you both as uh, um, people who paved this path for us. And uh, 
I think I've have had a lot to do with um, what this state is and uh, the incredible value that our healthcare system gives. So thank you.